Are you a caregiver? Or do you have a loved one who is aging and you or they might have questions that need to be answered? We have some answers that might help. This is Aging Life Network with Nancy Oriola. Today, you'll hear from experts and others related to the field of aging who will bring you answers, best practices, and tips for helping your loved one navigate this new part of life. Now, here is your host, Nancy Oriola. Hi, this is Nancy. Welcome to our show about continuum of care. For the last 11 years, we've had 10,000 Americans each day turning age 65. This trend will continue for another nine years. At the same time, the fastest growing segment of the population is over age 95 here in the U.S., We are living longer, but with chronic medical conditions. And those over age 65 are six times more likely to need help. At the same time, demographically, the number of children and family available to assist is shrinking pretty significantly. At one point, we had uh, five to seven people available to assist our loved ones, and that number is growing, is shrinking down to about two to four people. In response, a growing number of services have evolved to meet those increasing needs. Today, we're going to talk about continuum of care. And what continuum of care refers to, it comes out of the medical community, um, but the way we're talking about it today and the way we refer to it in our show today, refers to a comprehensive plan of care that adjusts to the needs of those cared for over a period of time. So it addresses a variety of aspects, levels, and intensity of care. It includes, but is not limited to medical needs. From a services perspective, it refers to growing levels of care. For more than 22 years, With more than 22 years of experience in this fast-growing industry of continuum of care services, my guest today, Melissa Spears, will join me to discuss the continuum of care options available to older adults. So we're going to talk about and discuss the levels of care that are available, the different type of care settings, and what is typically provided. She will undoubtedly probably touch on the cost for some of these services. Let me say a little bit about Melissa before we get started. She's the Chief Operations Officer at Retreat Healthcare, and she's been there since January 2019. She's responsible for a family of care services related to the care of seniors living with dementia, including three assisted living facilities, a hospice program, and a non-medical home service agency. You must be very busy, Melissa. (laughs) Um, Her expertise in operations is rivaled only by her expertise in dementia care, I would say. And since 1998, she's worked with and for the benefit of those living with dementia. Um, She has a long and very impressive resume. I I will say that uh, um, I am just thrilled that she's here to talk about this very important topic and one that... um, uh, folks need to learn more about because uh, you might agree, Melissa, that out in the general population, I think there's still a lo- uh, large number of 
consumers who think, uh, particularly older adults, um, who think that the only option to being at home is to go to a nursing home. Right. Well, first, thank you so much for having me on the show, Nancy. I'm thrilled to be here and happy to um, lend some information and hopefully um, uh, get folks thinking about the future as much as it sometimes can be a scary thought. I think it's always better to be prepared and know what your options are. So um, I would completely agree with that comment. I can't tell you how many families I've helped over the last 22 years um, and they really don't understand what types of services. Uh, my, uh, I, 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 I promise I won't use my parents as, as an example too much, but I'm dealing with it with my own parents right now. Yes, I should have so, said that. You are a family caregiver. I am so, a family yeah. caregiver. Mm-hmm. And even though I've been in this field for as long as I have, and the language and the lingo makes sense to me, they they still don't grasp some of the things and why they can't do it this way. And, you know, for very fiercely independent, um, 84 and 83, um, my dad is 84, caring for my mom at home. And we just finally started some hospice care. And um, it's like fighting tooth and nail to get a little bit more and just a little bit more in their house. So, Um, families really don't understand that, you know, it's what is, what is, what costs money, what is covered by insurance or Medicare. Mm -hmm. And those first steps frequently uh, are care in the home, just getting a little bit of support in their home. Cause I think everyone's goal is to stay as home, stay at home as long as they possibly can. Yes. We feel, uh, that services are always best offered in the home. I think you would agree with that, that getting started in the home in their comfortable, familiar environment is a great first step. Unfortunately, though, if you're going to need care long-term, it's very expensive. If you need round-the-clock um, or 24-7 monitoring um, supervision. But it is a good first step. And some services are covered by insurance, home health, if we just kind of dive into the different levels of care. You know, those first levels uh, are support in the home. And that can be skilled home health care that can be covered by insurance, typically is covered by Medicare or private insurance, but it's only short term. And it's only after an event and usually for a specific area that they need. Maybe they've fallen in, Um, need help with gaining back stability and gait stability. Maybe they have a wound and need a nurse to come in and help them get that that wound back back where it needs to be. Or occupational therapy after a stroke or um, some kind of episode that maybe they went to the hospital for a short stay and now they're coming home and need some support until they get back on their feet. Correct. Right. Um, Unless um, the only other... The only other thing I would add is um, particularly, um, you know, there's a number of older adults being cared for by family members who live in the home. And and I'm sure we'll talk about respite a little bit. But um, there is a, um, a category called um, homebound status that mm-hmm. I always encourage people to look up under Medicare.gov um, because... It doesn't necessarily mean your loved one can't ever leave the home. 
it could mean that it's just, it does mean that it's very difficult to leave the home. And so sometimes people can get a visiting nurse weekly or you yes. know, some services that a doctor would have to order. Correct. Correct. Yeah. yeah if it's a undue hardship mm-hmm. to the family caregiver or spouse that might be taking care of their loved one. Um, yeah, certainly that is, that is an option. And then, you know, the services that frequently folks need help with are those tasks in the home that take so much energy and so much thought and so much planning sometimes that it's helpful to have somebody come in and help. Um, And depending on your financial uh, situation, if you can afford some private duty companionship type care, homemaker services, they can help with those things. Mm -hmm. Cooking, laundry, making the bed, light housekeeping, maybe running errands for the person. Um, Although in the time of COVID, that became a lot more easier to manage with online delivery and, and pick up. But before those services really were evolved, you had to depend on somebody to go to the grocery store for you or to go pick up your prescriptions or maybe take you to a doctor's appointment if you can no longer drive. That's also a very... Um, big issue is transportation once it's no longer safe for an individual to drive and they may not have family in town or, um, you know, adult children or neighbors or, um, you know, you can rely on that here and there, but it's usually not a good long-term plan. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, so those, and those services are expensive. I mean, the average is about $24 an hour. And I think every, um, every non-medical home care community in our area has a minimum number of hours they will do. Typically, it's three to four. Once in a while, they will do two, but um, unless it's every day and, and a, a pretty regimented schedule, it's hard to find that. Um, and and it, the more you need, the more that costs. So if you're looking at having those types of services around the clock, that's, that can almost be triple the cost of an assisted living facility, which, you know, we'll get there here in a bit, but exactly mm-hmm. the, and there are some services that are provided by the department of senior affairs. Um, veterans programs have some homemaker companionship hours, but it's very minimal. And it's, you know, I think it's last I checked, I think it's like two to four hours a week. So it, it really only is for those really too hard to do things that you can't get done in the house. And um, I don't, I, I know one of the struggles when I worked for another non-medical home care in the past, one of the struggles is the consistency. You may not always get the consistent caregiver you want if you don't have routine um, hours scheduled. You kind of—it's luck yeah. of the draw. It's who's yes. available, and um, and it it can frequently, you know, talking about continuity of care and and trying to make up the best possible plan. Uh, if you can't build that relationship with a caregiver and that build that trust, when you need more care, that can be an even more difficult challenge. Especially, let's say you're me, adult child, trying to help support parents or whomever is trying to do this, Mm -hmm. trying to add more hours, you know, they're fighting tooth and nail. They just don't want anyone in their house. They don't want a stranger. So they don't get to build that relationship and see the benefit of how it really could help them stay in their home longer. 
Correct. Yes, and I would add that the veteran-related services or the Medicaid, state Medicaid-related home care services both depend on eligibility, meeting eligibility requirements. Um, very often those um, are the same as institutional Medicaid requirements. Um, there's also Innovage PACE program. That's of correct, yes. Care for the elderly. They help somewhat, uh, but again, you have to have fewer than $2,000 in assets, uh, an income below, you know, 2300 or so, and, uh, you know, folks need to check those Medicaid numbers. But if your parents, and these are assets outside of the home, but if your parents have savings, have, um, you know, an income above that level, we're typically looking at paying privately for services unless, as you said, Melissa, it's a skilled need. Correct. And that's short term. Mm, that's very, very. a very, you know, a finite number of visits. Uh, and if if you factor in other issues and they cannot follow instruction, let's say they have dementia, let's say they have cognitive impairment. Therapy services are very short-lived because they can't justify from Medicare guidelines that they can follow instruction and they see improvement. And you know that almost every family that is uh, finds themselves with a loved one in the hospital, probably most of them are surprised when they learn that Medicare pays for so little. Absolutely. When, when the parent goes home or the loved one goes home. Yep. Yeah. They, they're, they're flabbergasted. And then you have that in the middle category that is the majority, I would say, probably, mm-hmm. that have some income, have a little bit of asset, but really long term, they're terrified at the thought of having to pay for private assisted living. And yet you have to spend them that money. And if you still have income coming in, you'll never qualify for those benefits. And yet you don't qualify for the medic the Medicaid um, entitled benefits. It's it's a it's a sticky situation. And you know, I worked for the Alzheimer's Association and we would take, you know, helpline calls. Mm-hmm. So frequently you're getting folks at the very beginning of you know, they've, I've, heard, I've, I've used the expression drinking from a fire hose because that's what it feels like. You know, they're, they're flabbergasted by one, getting a diagnosis of a fatal illness yeah. and that it's only going to get worse. And then trying to find resources available to help. And when they start seeing the numbers and do the math in their head, it's just overwhelming and, um, the you know, and there are some other programs through, you know, depending on what state you live in, the Alzheimer's Association has a respite program, but it's a very short term, small amount. But, you know, the whole idea is, right, you talked about respite a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. those caregivers have got to have a break. And um, if even if it's, you know, two hours a week, that's better than nothing to be able to recharge their batteries, do something they enjoy. Um, again, not here I go with my parents again. My dad is caring for my very frail mother who has Parkinson's disease. And um, my kids have been in online school at home during quarantine and during COVID. 
and he goes and checks on them two days a week. And I said, Dad, they're fine. You don't need to do that. And he said, I need it. I need a break. Right. So mm-hmm. we make that happen. And my kids love to see him and love to spend time with him. And uh, it's been, you know, just trying to get him to see that just a little bit more would give you a break to go do something you enjoy, to go for a walk and not feel guilty to, you know, he will only leave the, out the house an hour at a time because... Well, I- yeah, I think we could do. Um, That's a whole other show. <laughs> we could do a whole <laughs> show about um, caregivers and how often they feel that, you know, unless they do it, it's not going to be done the way it needs to be done. But also, um, a lot of family caregivers don't know where to turn for respite. Mm-hmm. And they don't know how to ask other family members or they've asked and other family members are not helping. Right. Um, I think often it would be helpful if caregivers um, asked in a specific way. But again, it's more uh, rare that they would do that than, than feel like it's their mm-hmm. job. Well, I was looking at the Facebook page for Aging Network, and I think that's a really cool concept to have some support and some chat groups and um, because it it doesn't feel as uncomfortable as possibly asking for it in person or, you know, asking a stranger just to get ideas of other things that could be helpful. Any little tips and tricks um, can make a big difference. Right. So, yes. So respite using home care as a form of respite certainly is encouraged um, and um, finding ways to do that can be pretty important in yes. order to for the caregiver to stretch out their ability to continue to provide their care. And the other thing I want to say, and this is strictly opinion, for those families who um, say, well, you know, this care is too much and, you know, we'll just spend down or, or do transfers. You know, there are things lawyers can do to help people qualify for Medicaid and have mom live in a nursing home. It's only my opinion, but nursing homes have become more like hospitals. And um, I I just, you know, it's one of my life goals to help keep people out of nursing homes. And the fact that we, the elder services industry has grown and mushroomed to such an extent that there are all these other options. Right. I mean, that's what I want to talk about today. We'll uh, dive in. Other options. <laughs> I love that. That's my favorite part. Yes. And so, again, continuum of care, as I defined it, it's a plan of care. So the more you can plan up front, learn about what are the services along the way, and the fact that, you know, we have facilities that will offer continuum of services. But for those people who want to stay home, um, I want to talk more about what those services are that that you and folks like you can offer. But we're going to take our first break. And so we'll be back in 90 seconds. I'm talking with Melissa Spears with Retreat Healthcare. (music) 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? Do you need advice or help making a difficult decision for an aging loved one? Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation, offer practical step-by-step guidance, tell you the questions to ask, and help you understand the maze of options. Their network of life care professionals, available to you through HIPAA-compliant video conferencing and calls, will work with you to create action plans to solve your current and real-time problems. Aging Life Network's online educational center, ALN Academy, offers 24-7 access to the most up-to-date and accurate information for seniors and their families. Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. Check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, this is Nancy. I'm here with Melissa Spears from Retreat Healthcare, and we are talking about the continuum of care. Let's um, let's move on, Melissa, and talk about other types of care settings. Um, assisted living. I mean, it's a term people are now more and more familiar with, but there's a large variety within that category. There are, there are many, many options. I want to, I, I think the last I heard, there are over three, just over 300 facilities that are licensed as assisted living just in our state. And mm-hmm. in that they are considered, there's smaller residential care homes that can have anywhere from three to 15 residents. If they're um, modified to the point where they could have double occupancy and uh, or had been built specifically to be a small residential facility, meaning or there are large facilities. Right. Whole, yeah. Okay. Um, so we have on our campus three different facilities, and you know our owner and founder, Dr. Lena Ernst, and Robert Metz. They they really she's quite a visionary, as you know, um, but we really wanted to have a continuum of care on our campus. And I think lots of uh, corporately owned assisted livings and other assisted livings are, have gone to that trend in the last 10 years. It used to be a traditional assisted living, but the minute you started wandering or couldn't find your room, it was up to the memory care unit you went. And um, so I think assisted living started developing a memory care area or a dementia unit. We like the word dementia better than memory care Mm -hmm. uh, because it's not just memory you're dealing with. You're dealing with a cognitive impairment that affects all areas of the brain. But having um, an in-between 
option. Um, and so some assisted livings will only take folks that are ambulatory. Some assisted livings can do a little bit more care, which is wonderful. And I think uh, really the way to go because people are going to progress. They're going to need more care. They're going to need more hands-on care. And the, you know, the rule of thumb used to be assisted living, you had to bear weight and assist with transfer. Well, there are lots of assisted livings that will take folks that are a two-person lift. We can't do Hoyer lifts, but if we have enough staff to transfer, we can do that, right? I wouldn't say the majority, though. No, 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 no. I, I, I agree. There's a, there's a percentage, just like there's a percentage of assisted livings that can provide basic assistance with activities of daily living, right? They're needing either medication with medication management. They can no longer remember when to take their medicines. They need help getting up and down out of a wheelchair to sit in a regular chair. They need help with showering. They need help with buttons and the mechanics of dressing that become harder as you get older. Even getting to the dining room. Absolutely. Going where the dining room is. That's also, (laughs) you know, frequently if you're in a large assisted Mm -hmm. living, I've worked in all kinds of assisted living. Some are huge and have capacity for 150 residents. And then I've worked in some that, you know, have capacity for 24. So, Mm -hmm. um, it just kind of depends on the layout of the building and, and the needs of that resident. Another issue that always comes Mm -hmm. up is the nursing interventions that they need. And I, speaking of parents, when my mother and I went looking around together, Mm -hmm. we had lunch at a facility south of Boston that had three towers, probably a thousand residents each tower, assisted living. Big cities. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in urban areas, there are you know, probably thousands of facilities. Think about California. I mean, it's just oh, astronomical. It's, yeah. But they, they are large facilities and, and they have, more, you know, some have more services in-house. And then there's others that have, you know, in southern New Hampshire, we looked and there were smaller campuses with you could live in a house at first and then mm-hmm. move to the main main facility. So lots of options around the country um, it's, it's a fair amount of homework. It is. And it can be overwhelming and it mm-hmm. can't be, um, what questions do you ask? What, you know, you, you don't, nobody, I, I say this all the time. Nobody has a crystal ball to know how you're going to progress or how your loved one is going to progress and what those needs can look like. So I am a, a fan of looking for something I, I would rather not have to move my loved one 20 times mm-hmm. because right now they, they would be great in an independent living. So looking at a community where you could transition into maybe you're an independent now, then maybe you're going to need nursing services and that facility has nursing care for short term. That's a great option. Or if you know somebody has a diagnosis of dementia, I wouldn't put them in an independent living because guess what? At some point, they will likely wander. That's 80% of all people with cognitive impairment wander. That is just a given fact. And they will need a lot more assistance at some point. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's where the, the conundrum comes. Do I start with some services in the home until they really need a lot of care? Uh, you know, every family is different. They make those decisions on what's best for them. But 
I also think it's very important to look at your options when you can make choices and make decisions. So if a family member, the one that's going to be placed is amenable, you know, amenable to looking at places, look at your top three. Look at, I really like the activities this facility offers. You know, I'm a busy bee. I'm a social girl. If I were going to go to a facility a residential care home where it's smaller, there's only three or four people to interact with, that probably wouldn't suit me. It would suit my mother. She would love that. She's not She's not very social and she's. she likes to keep to herself. That would be a great option for her. But looking at my dad long-term, he's already said, I'll go, I'll go. I'll totally go. I'm fine. When mom goes and you don't want me in your house anymore, we're that blunt. Um, which I'm like, dad, you can stay in our house as long as you can. And as long as it's it's safe for you to do so. But he said, I'd rather go somebody where I could interact with other people. Well, other other peers yes. and people will cook, you know, for him. I'm ready for that. Um, ready for, you know, dinner. Laundry, in the dining room. Food, I'm cleaning. like you, I'm an extrovert. And so the thought of interacting with others is kind of appealing. But it's not for everybody. And, sure. and, and, you know, once people get their head around the cost, once they understand the true cost, um, that's when I often say to them, look, until you're spending more than that on home care, do the home care if it's mm-hmm. safe, if you can do it safely. Um, you that's know, a good rule of thumb, actually, because... Why, why wouldn't you want to stay 90% of the folks that can afford home? I would say almost 100% of the people that can afford home care probably have their home paid off, right? They, a, a good percentage of them, if they've been able to plan, if they've been able to think through what that cost is going to look like long term, mm-hmm. they, you know, home care, while they can do it, is a great option. But mm-hmm. when they need 24-hour supervision or they're mm-hmm. falling or yeah. they can't manage their meds anymore, those are all right. good indicators that it's not a safe environment anymore. I, I totally agree. Um, the unique thing about retreat is at your um, higher, highest level of care, you are able to do some nursing functions that a lot of assisted living can't do. That's correct. Um, At both actually the retreat and the gardens, we have 24-hour nursing. And I don't know about you, but I've certainly seen that trend change over the last 10 years. It it was pretty rare to have a nurse at all in an assisted living, or you had one nurse that really was overseeing care plans and overseeing staffing, but really couldn't do a whole lot of nursing care. Mm -hmm. And I think that trend has changed because you know, we, we need it. We need it. And, and nursing homes, even though they have the nursing aspect, they don't have the interaction aspect that an assisted living can offer with the companionship and higher staffing ratios and more activities. It it just is, is a different um, environment. And even though sometimes medically that's what they need, it's not always what's best for them spiritually or holistically or, um, for engagement and having that good interaction. So it's so, it's a hard situation to be in when you need that. So when people are evaluating <clears throat> and there's, you know, you can Google and there's lots of little checklists. Uh, what I'm hearing you say is in addition to, you know, how's the food and how are the activities? Um, what you're saying is check on the continuum spectrum 
aspects of, of the care. If, you know, if mom already has a diagnosis, your mother with Parkinson's, for instance, mm-hmm. there are certain trajectories we, we understand or the facility should understand the types of needs she may have as that progresses. Um, asking what what aspects of your care will be available if my mother needs this, this, or this. Yeah, absolutely. That's mm-hmm. one of, you know, somebody who has done some homework and, and somebody who is helping them on the inquiry call or if they're doing some investigative work and trying to find out what the best option is. Uh, we always have those questions. We're asking not only about what that person did for a living, to understand them socially and how are they going to have um, meaningful engagement with our staff, with other residents. It helps us make pairings, so to speak, of other residents they might enjoy being with. Uh, it is a big part of, right, you are a social worker, so you you totally understand the benefit of that and evaluating that whole person. But looking at their medical conditions, that is a huge part of it. If you have a resident that in your in a, you're looking for a, uh, maybe a residential care home setting, but they're an insulin-dependent diabetic. That, yeah. unfortunately, will become harder to manage over time. It just is a fact. Sometimes mm-hmm. doctors can do magic with oral medications, but if they are a brittle diabetic and they need um, that kind of monitoring, that has to be done by a nurse. That cannot be done by a, a caregiver to assist with medications or a, a med aid as many facilities right. will use instead of a nurse. And some facilities will say that they have a nurse in-house, but you need to know, is the nurse on site 24-7? Yes. Because sometimes they're only on site during the day and then they're on call in the evening. And I've had some trouble with that with clients. So it's important to um, find out. Absolutely. Yeah. Those kinds of services. Um, I I was curious that you said some places will do the two person assist. Mm -hmm. I know of a couple of facilities that they will staff differently during the day. I, I, we, we are, we are of the opinion if, if they need that level of hands-on assistance and we can safely do it, it would be based on, you know, an assessment upon admission and then mm-hmm. ongoing later on down the road as they decline. If we can safely transfer them, we, we are able to do that. We have the staffing ratios to do that. Not every facility does. So if they are not able to bear weight and assist with transfer or let's say they're a little tiny lady, but have coming back from um, a rehab stay and is not weight bearing on their leg for five weeks. Would that mean they have to go to a skilled facility? We feel they would if they are not able to to follow instruction and do that kind of therapy, we feel they would heal better in the environment they're used to. So we would be able to make those accommodations. We can't do lifts. We don't use Hoyer lifts or things like that. That's a New Mexico mm-hmm. state regulation. But, um, you know, that's another thing to consider if you are looking for somebody that isn't ambulating well and is going to need more hands-on assistance because, again, that progresses over time. We know that. Uh, those are all good questions to ask. Uh, independent living, if they they are not able to self-transfer or just need standby assistance, that's not a service they would offer on a routine basis unless they have their in-home, in-house home care agency where you could get 
some services to add on to whatever the independent living provides, which, you know, it's typically meals, housekeeping. Well, it's, um, it's similar to living at home, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it is. Yeah. And, and some places allow for that. Um, but again, it's like being at home. So if your needs continue to, um, you know, grow, um, that may not long-term be an ultimate solution. Right. And so thinking about that at the beginning of the journey is, um, and, and it's difficult, but everybody feels differently about it. So um, before we take our next break, um, I do want to give a shout out to a couple of our Sponsors, um, TrueLink Financial Services is a sponsor of Aging Life Network. And um, our friend Pete Wall was on a couple weeks ago talking about, um, you know, assisting with um, older adults and disabled adults and how their services provide for that. Um, They were founded based on uh, wanting to help those populations. And so they're a great company to look at if you're caring for a loved one. Um, Decadesgroup.com is also a sponsor and provides uh, private fiduciary services. And so when we come back, I would like Melissa to talk a little bit more, more about services, absolutely, and what are the things we should be thinking about, and then talk a little bit more about um, some of those national cost figures and what those average costs are for the different services. So we will be right back, folks. Um, Stay with us. Thanks. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? Do you need advice or help making a difficult decision for an aging loved one? Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation offer practical step-by-step guidance, tell you the questions to ask, and help you understand the maze of options. Their network of life care professionals, available to you through HIPAA-compliant video conferencing and calls, will work with you to create action plans to solve your current and real-time problems. Aging Life Network's online educational center, ALN Academy, offers 24-7 access to the most up-to-date and accurate information for seniors and their families. Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. Check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. 
That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, this is Nancy, and I really do want those emails, so please um, send me your thoughts, uh, opinions, ideas on topics you'd like to hear about. Um, I read those emails, I will respond to your emails, and I, I really do want them. So I'm back here with Melissa Spears from Retreat Healthcare, and we were just having a go-around conversation about some of the pricing for uh, assisted living, and I, I will let her talk a little bit about that. Um, the pricing for services in general, let's, let's just start there. Dive right in. All right. Well, I think on average, um, you know, uh, there was a recent study done by Genworth and the cost of care survey in New Mexico. And you can actually, I think you have the information for where one could look up this information, Nancy. Um, But yeah, Uh, average cost of living or cost for assisted living is about $4,000 a month. I, I would say that's probably at the lower end. That's average, but that really likely includes meals, housekeeping once a week, um, and then any other services you must add on, typically. There are some models. We happen to be one of those models in two of our buildings. We, we do an all-inclusive rate. We would rather the family not have to worry about those things. We feel it takes more staff time to have to call families about their loved one being out of, you know, depends or toothpaste. We include that. And so it makes it easier for the families. It gives them peace of mind. They're never going to be out of those supplies that they need. And so we would much rather just include those. Or in at the villas at our assisted living facility, it is more of an a la carte menu. So lots of the other assisted livings, they may have, you know, base rent is $4,000. Then if you need medication management, you, you add that on. That could be three or $400 a month. If you need help with getting to and from the dining room or need help with showering or bathing, that can be a care package. Um, but on average, I would say memory care and dementia care facilities on average, you could probably add about 1500 a month to that cost. Correct. Uh, the staffing ratios by the Department of Health are higher in, in uh, a secured dementia area. That, that costs more. The staff costs more. I am also a fan of you get what you pay for. And not, not all assisted livings are created equally. You certainly can find a setting that is... Um, a middle-of-the-road, clean, well-cared-for, um, and, and that can meet all of your needs depending on how much care your loved one needs. If, if you have somebody that has a dementia, which anyone over the age of 85 has a 50-50 chance of having some type of cognitive impairment, yep. and those numbers are not going away, and, nope. uh, and that unfortunately, you know, I could go on and on and on about dementia statistics, but that, again, is another show. And uh, it is more expensive to care for because it requires more monitoring. It requires more uh, redirection and staff time. And, and so that can be, on average, I would say between five and $6,000 a month on average. I totally agree. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, And also some things to consider are private rooms versus shared rooms. That can also make a difference in cost. And depending on, you know, where your loved one is, um, would they do well with a roommate? Would they absolutely not hate it, couldn't stand it, would need to be in a private room? That's going to cost more money as well. So those are also things to consider. Uh, But on average... I think that the industry average is that it's about 65,000. I think that's probably a safe guesstimate for assisted living for a middle of the road oh, for private annual, pay assisted an living. annual fee. For an annual fee. Yeah. Right. And that and that would be I mean if you have someone who is um uh has the dual assist need or the insulin dependent need, I I I would assume that adds a little bit of Cost. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And and unfortunately, like we discussed earlier, not all facilities have that kind of nursing intervention on on site 24 hours a day. No, it's pretty rare. In fact. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. If, if that is a need, I would certainly, those are great questions to ask that can make the pool much smaller from which to choose from of a, a assisted living facility that has 24-hour nursing. There's only a handful in Albuquerque and Rio Rancho area. Well, and I'll tell you, depending on the state you're in, uh, for example, in New York State, um, I know care managers who work in Manhattan, and they're all nurses, and they can provide in-the-home nursing services. And uh, unlike, um, and they're not home health, they're care managers, uh, but New York State allows for that. And, um, and of course, many of their clients are quite wealthy. And I, I mean, if someone goes into the hospital, they go with them. They stay overnight in the hospital. Wow. So there's, uh, there are, you know, depending on the state and where in the state you are. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're in northern upstate New York, I've worked with care managers up there that, um, you know, um, are very different, lower than $100 uh, an hour rate, um, although the average is, you know, between, I don't know, 100 and 250 and I would say Manhattan's on the higher end. So, and that's for care managers. But so for a lot of those folks, they're able to stay home longer um, if they can afford it because there are so many other services that can be provided in the home where in New Mexico, it becomes much more limited as your mm-hmm. medical needs increase. Correct. And and I think that the the trend will be there will have to be more home-based services the more, you know, how how do you make it affordable? That's the question. I think that 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 also is a whole other podcast. Another show. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. a whole other show. <laughs> so but that is the hard conundrum is it's very expensive to have that type of care come into your home if you don't have that family support or don't have you know, right. Yeah. But speaking of statistics and dementia statistics, I'll just ask you for a one, um, okay. you know, the number of people that are aging as single people, no kids, no spouse, no children mm-hmm. is pretty huge. Um, I know in the LGBTQ community, there is concern among uh, within the Alzheimer's Association about that population uh, but I would think in the general population, we have a lot of single people, no kids. Their spouses have, you know, 
have died or yeah, no, definitely. I've seen that over the last 10 years, certainly increase. I think, you know, mm-hmm. as the baby boomer population is aging and then, you know, people just, you, they didn't have kids or no, they, divorce you know, rates were or, higher. absolutely mm-hmm. divorce rates are higher or, you know, didn't have any kids of their own or it's hard to find family sometimes. Um, we are fortunate. We don't have a, a huge, they, they tend to have somebody that's where a, a private guardian sometimes comes in, in as a wonderful benefit because they didn't have children and they do need somebody who will carry through their decisions, make those decisions for them. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, if you don't have somebody in the industry, I'm, I'm not for my sister-in-law who didn't have kids, she and her husband, mm-hmm. and she, you know, carrying through those end of life decisions because, she knows her husband will put her on every life support measure possible and does not want that. And so she <laughs> so was, you're, you're, I her get designate, to, you're her power of attorney. I yeah. am her power yeah. of attorney. That, yeah, yeah, that's a whole nother, but to be uh, able to yeah. help people find those options is hard mm-hmm. if they're doing it mm-hmm. all by themselves. No, I think there's been a huge upswing in that and that isn't going away. Like you mentioned at the beginning of the show, people aren't having as many children as they did. You know, I'm a family of three siblings and I have two children and, you know, it, it's, yeah. it, it is it's expensive. One. You have yeah. one. If yeah. you know, yeah. it's very yeah. expensive. And, mm-hmm. and to have the time to be a good, solid parent. I didn't have kids till much later in life like you did, too. Mm-hmm. You have yours a little mm-hmm. bit later in life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I have a, a 13, almost 13-year-old and a 16-year-old, and I'm about to be 50. So mm-hmm. go figure, you know. Mm-hmm. Those, those decisions are different and, um, and being able to have an advocate for those choices, that's, that's a hard position to be in. And yeah, the Alzheimer's Association's done a lot of yeah. outreach in that area. I mm-hmm. think it's important. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so for single people, it becomes even more critical to, to develop a plan of care, to be thinking about the what ifs. Absolutely. You know, what if I need this, that, or the other? Um, how might or once it begins to look at where it could be going and turning to professionals who can, or even your own doctor who can help you understand what those growing needs are going to look like. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, so back to costs. Um, oh, back to Genworth. So. Um, I think if people just Google Genworth um, um, sur- survey of care, Genworth survey of care. Cost of care survey 2020. Thank you. Genworth mm-hmm. cost of care survey 2020. Um, they have some great, uh, they have all the averages, but you they have a way for you to plug in where your loved one lives, what city, county, state, and we'll provide you with costs for that area so you can uh, do some planning around yeah. the cost of care. Um, nursing homes these days, which we didn't want to talk about very much, um, but they're in the seven to 8,000 range, just to give some perspective, about 8,000 a month. Yeah, $200 a day, $200 a day minimum, and that can be a shared room. Yeah, I think the average is 230 Is it really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did I I say that? Maybe it was 200. Um, And so assisted living, four to 6,000, depending on all those variables you talked about. 
Yes. Um, average a little over 5,000, 65,000 a year is what you quoted. 65 to 70,000. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's probably about right. Yeah. And, um, and I think what we're trying to highlight on the show is don't just ask about the menu. Don't just ask about activities. Ask about continuum of care services that your loved one might need. Um, yeah. And, and families are sometimes scared to tell you what's really going on. Um, the more you ask, you ask those open-ended questions, the more information you'll get. I've always, you know, tell me about, tell me about any other health issues. And, mm-hmm. and those, you know, at the very end, they're like, oh, yeah, and by the way, they're insulin-dependent diabetic and, you know, need pet hose <laughs> right. and need this. And, it's sort and of the old, you don't know what you need. Yeah. Yes, so absolutely. You have, so the professionals have to, yeah, do a little. Yeah, kind of peel that onion back and get more information and, mm-hmm. and, Oh, always be a resource. I mean, I, I I think one of the most important things is to know the community you live in, or at least, you know, be able to research a couple of places. So that way, you know, if I'm not the right place for somebody, I always want to know what's in my area to be able to help others. And I think that those services are becoming more, more readily available, even if it's just searching online, um, you know, just being able to, really ask those good questions of what am I going to really need? And don't, don't think about the next six months. Think about the next three to four years because it's going to yeah. look a little different. And, you know, we only have a couple minutes left. What we didn't talk much any about is hospice care. Oh, and one of the so, best benefits ever. And it's covered by Medicare. I cannot say enough good things about it. And hospice goes wherever home is. So if it's in your personal home, in an assisted living facility, um, you know, I think hospice is a very underutilized benefit and people frequently don't do it soon enough. So, um, yeah, I often say, you know, it doesn't have to be, a, a, um, a life, uh, I mean, you have to have a certain diagnosis by a physician, but the fact is people, um, sometimes graduate from hospice, yes. they live beyond the six months, but in the meantime, they're provided, um, a certain amount of services, certainly not um, as much care as they might need. They may still have to turn to home care, but they, they're offered, um, you know, costs are covered for equipment and medications and supplies, nursing and continent supplies, things. so many things. So I often encourage people just call and check it out. Absolutely. Oh, and yeah, yeah. So we're going to have to go before they, they um, before they, you know, cut us off here. But <laughs> I do want to say that I've really appreciated you taking the time to talk about this. Um, there are a lot of different options out there and people need to be very careful and ask more questions. And I think you've highlighted that really well today. Well, thank you. It's my honor and pleasure to be on the show. So thanks for having us. Yeah. And we'll, um, we'll have you back again. Cause I know we could talk about dementia for All an hour. All kinds of things. We yes. can talk about Miss Nancy. Thank you, Melissa. Thank Take you. Care. Take Bye-bye. care. Thank you for tuning in this week to aging life network. Please join host Nancy Oriola for another edition of the program next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time 
on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We can't wait to talk again.